it's not over until God says it's over. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, a program taking you from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 through the whole Bible in one year. And we're going to be talking about Jeremiah 32. It's very interesting. God says it's over when it's over, but it's not over until he says it's over. That's coming up in about five minutes time. It's going to be really good. Corey is here. Corey. All right. Well, we are going to be taking a look at Jeremiah 32 and some evidence for child sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Ryan. Today, I'm looking at the life of the man who we read a lot about in Jeremiah, the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, what a great guy that guy was, or an interesting guy that guy was. Sorry, Corey. All right, <laughs> go ahead. What, what did you do? Jesus has overcome the world. Okay, let's take our Bible guide out. If you don't have one, we'll tell you how to get one in just a moment. And let's open up the most important book of all, that is the Bible, and listen to the Lord. Jeremiah 32, 1 through 15. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord? Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. Then he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be until I visit him, says the Lord. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you, saying, Buy my field which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours, and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself." Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, seventeen shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it, took witnesses, and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. And I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. 
Then I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed, which is sealed, and this deed, which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 1 through 15. Jeremiah 32, 33, and 34. We're almost to the end of Jeremiah, but this is fascinating. You see, in every human life, there are circumstances outside of our control. And too often, we believe that these events happen by chance. But God is not like us. He is so much greater. He understands us better than we understand ourselves. He can make beautiful even the worst of circumstances. In our reading of Jeremiah 32, we learn that during one of Judah's darkest times, and when Jeremiah was in prison, the promise of a bright future was given. Jeremiah was given symbolic evidence by God that Israel's future would be good. Jeremiah would be offered the right of redemption for a family property of his own hometown. On one hand, the people of Israel were told to seek peace and live in the land of their captivity, Babylon. On the other hand, God was saying that they would later occupy their own land again. Now, God sees all of time from beginning to end. God exists outside of time. Nothing is over until God says it's over. Did you get that? Nothing is over until God says it's over. Now, this is fascinating. Take your Bible guide and turn to it. It's not over. So Jeremiah 32, this is really interesting. And when you go to that, if you don't have your Bible guide, call us or write to us and we'll send you one. Another way you can get a Bible guide is go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And when you do that, uh, click on the page. It'll take you to the place where you can get your uh, Bible guide exactly how we printed it. It's very interesting. But I think we need to pray today and ask the Lord to show us his way. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would show us here's the problem, Lord. We have our own ideas and we don't want our own ideas to mess us up. So we want to hear what your ideas are. What are you thinking, Lord? Not what we're thinking. So help us, Father, change us and direct us. And if our ideas are with yours, praise God. But Lord, I pray that you would show us your way and teach us your paths in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. Now keep in mind that I've said this often, on the program this year. Show us your ways and keep us your paths. I've done that for a reason, because we need to align ourselves with the word of God so that we understand what's happening right now. Very, very important. Anyway, let's go to Jeremiah 32 verses one through five. This is very interesting. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah, the prophet, was shut up in the court of prison, which was in the king's of Judah's house. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, 
Why do you prophesy and say, thus says the Lord, behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it, and Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face and see him eye to eye. Then he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be until I visit him, says the Lord. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. Jeremiah was given this prophecy, it's very important, to remember that God often spoke through his prophets to reveal what God would do before it was done. We should read the word of God carefully and prayerfully. The Bible, in many cases, is very much like reading a newspaper today. And we have to understand how it speaks. The Holy Spirit is explaining to us what's happening. God is not interested in us being always in the dark. God has explained what he's doing. But we have to desire it. We have to seek what the Lord is doing. Not to broadcast it around the world, but just for us to know so that we are in the connection of God's provision. That's what we need. So we need to keep that in mind. That's very important. Now let's go on because this gets interesting in verse 6. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle will come to you, saying, Buy my field which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. And Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanamel the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it and took witness and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and the custom, and that which was open. And I gave the purchase deed to Barak, the son of Neri, the son of Mahaseah, in the presence of Hanamel my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. Jeremiah bought property that was confiscated by Babylon. One day we will be given our right of inheritance by God. One day we will be given our right of inheritance by God. It's true. I want to tell you something. This is really interesting. We're going to go to the last couple of verses here. Watch this. Then I charged Barak before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed, which is sealed, and this deed, which is open. Put them in earthen vessels, that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. 
it's not over until God says it's over. (laughs) God is the creator of time and he knows what will happen and when it will happen, we do not. All I would say is look at Israel today. All I would say is look at Israel today. They're back. I mean, it's, it's, there's, it's amazing what God is doing. And so Jeremiah knew this because the Lord spoke it to him. And there's things we can know from the Lord if we pay attention to what he said, if we read his word and listen through the power of the Holy Spirit to how he speaks. Beloved, we need to hear God is doing something right now. So all of the things going on around this world, everything involved, God knows exactly what's going on. We have to watch Israel. Most importantly, we must watch and keep an eye on Jerusalem. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Welcome back to the program. To go along with our reading through Jeremiah, I thought that we should spend some time getting to know one of the key figures in the text, and that is the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is mentioned nearly 90 times throughout the Bible, and Jeremiah mentions him no less than 37 times, which is more than any other biblical book. Why? Because Jeremiah warns that Nebuchadnezzar would be the instrument God would use to carry off the Jews into exile where they would spend the next 70 years. But Nebuchadnezzar also had a major problem. He was extremely prideful. He thought all of his success was because of his own greatness. Well, he found out the hard way that he was dead wrong. Check it out. Nebuchadnezzar II, the crown prince of Babylon and his father's most trusted general, was in the midst of pursuing the Egyptians when he suddenly has to turn home to take over the throne. His father, King Nebuchadnezzar, had died. Before his death, however, Nebuchadnezzar had managed to establish an alliance with the Medes and Persians, a marriage between his son Nebuchadnezzar and a Median princess named Amethyst. Nebuchadnezzar ruled over Babylon from 605 to 562 BC, and it would be this king who God would use to wipe the Jewish nation off the map and deport its people to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also confiscated the sacred temple items, which was a gesture of religious dominance, meant to demonstrate to the conquered Judeans that their god was too weak to save them from defeat. In that day, to conquer a nation was to conquer its gods. However, this extremely arrogant king would soon learn that the god of the Judeans was not a god of wood or stone, but the living god of heaven, and that it was he who was behind the rising and falling of empires. God would first illustrate this to Nebuchadnezzar through a dream which only a young Jewish captive and prophet of God named Daniel could interpret. Daniel explained that God was revealing to the king the future kingdoms of the world. The implication, of course, was that Babylon, though great, would eventually fall. The king, after witnessing this divine foretelling through Daniel, praises the Judean God, proclaiming him the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets. 
Though this was the first time Nebuchadnezzar met the one true God, it would not be the last. Some years later, he foolishly erected a giant golden statue and demanded that the people worship the image. When all but three God-fearing Jews named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse, Nebuchadnezzar throws them into a fiery furnace to be burned alive. But their God delivers them. The king is astonished not only because the men are not burning, but because now there are four men in the fire. And the form of the fourth, says Nebuchadnezzar, is like the Son of God. For seeing God himself and the deliverance of the three men, Nebuchadnezzar for a second time praises the living God. Despite witnessing the power of God these two times, Nebuchadnezzar still had not learned that it was God behind his greatness. Therefore, in a moment of proud boast, the living God takes both Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and his mind for a time. Indeed, for seven years he becomes like an animal eating grass like an ox, and having hair like eagle's feathers, and nails like bird claws. But at the end of the seven years, he is fully restored, but now as a totally converted man, praising and honoring the God of heaven. His last recorded words in the book of Daniel are, those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Thank you, Ryan, for the segment. Nebuchadnezzar was uh, an interesting king, and uh, mm -hmm. it, it was really, it's really worth exploring. Now, uh, it, it's important to remember that God deals with us personally with all of our problems. Mm -hmm. I have problems, we all have problems, but God deals with us personally, and we have to remember. Very true. God, we have to follow him. That's essentially what we have to do. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Corey? All right. Well, Jeremiah 32 brings us back into the sin of Judah and Jerusalem in you know, the heinous crime really of child sacrifice. This is, this is a horrible thing. Jeremiah 32 verse 35 says, again, it's an indictment. They built high places for Baal in the Valley of Ben-Hinnom to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech. Though I never commanded, nor did it enter my mind that they should do such a detestable thing and so make Judah sin. So the question that I want to ask here is what evidence is there that this practice actually occurred in ancient Israel. And there is some, you know, despite things that you may hear, there, there is some evidence that this practice actually went on. The first line of evidence that we have, of course, is the, the, the many indictments, uh, that we read about in the Bible. Okay. So the, the fact that the Bible itself talks about child sacrifice, not only as a practice of the Canaanites, the enemies of Israel, but also a practice of Israel and Judah themselves. So these people who are supposed to essentially be God's people, the fact that they were also engaging in the practice lends credence to the fact that it was a real practice. It's not propaganda against the Canaanites, for example. Another line of evidence that we look at is also literary. So outside of the Bible, there are uh, several Greek authors starting in the fourth century BC that talk about uh, the, the practice of child sacrifice to specific gods. And there are a few early church fathers as well from the second and third centuries who talk about this practice. Then another line of evidence that we look at is archaeological evidence. Now, the main source that we have uh, for uh, evidence of child sacrifice is from the city of Carthage in North Africa. Now, Carthage isn't in 
Israel or Canaan proper, right? But it's really important because it was actually a Phoenician settlement city. It, it, people from Canaan, from Phoenicia, who live, lived in the northwest of Israel along the Mediterranean Sea, it was them who sailed to Carthage and settled that city. So they, they brought their culture and their practices with them. So that's why the archaeological, archaeological work at Carthage is so revealing and eye-opening for us. Now, in fact, one of the Greek historical writers who talks about this practice states that it was child sacrifice was a Phoenician practice and it was especially a practice of the city of Carthage. So for some reason, the settlers at Carthage, they intensified the practice of child sacrifice even more than it was in Phoenicia proper back in Israel and Canaan. So at Carthage, a tophet or a high place of burning has been discovered. And it has a graveyard of an estimated, it hasn't fully been excavated, but an estimated, get this, 20,000 infant burials that were sacrificed. Uh, There are monuments there uh, uh, that have carvings on them citing sacrifices to Mulk, to MLK. Why that's interesting is those same Hebrew consonants, MLK, stand for Molech, the same God that the Bible says people sacrifice their children to. So there's a there's a huge uh, literary connection there. Um, the Bible also talks about Baal Hinnom and Baal as being alternate names for Molech. Underneath these monuments at Carthage, archaeologists found jars containing the bones of mostly cremated infants and the occasional sacrificial sheep or goat as well. Now, some scholars have tried to explain away this this Tophet, this high place of burning as a normal cemetery or as a cemetery with a special focus on infants, stillbirth infants or infants who died uh, shortly after birth. But this really falls apart with the presence of other sacrificial animals. Why are there sacrificial animals being buried alongside of these infants? And also a, a study was done on the teeth of these skeletons. And there's a very specific age range of a month to a month and a half for these infants when you when the the um, archaeologists and the researchers factored in the shrinkage of the bones and the shrinkage of the teeth that occurs during cremation under high heat. So this one to one and a half months is way overrepresented. This is not children dying of natural causes. This is a very specific culling of a certain age. So that along with the monuments saying sacrifices to Mulk, to MLK, suggests that child sacrifices, uh, you know, the evidence is all firmly on the that this was a place of child sacrifice. Now, there are a few other archaeological finds that might pertain to child sacrifice in Israel proper. In Gezer, there were several infant burial jars discovered in a very early excavation in the early 1900s. Unfortunately, from what I'm aware of, all the finds from that excavation have been lost and the record keeping of that excavation was pretty shoddy, uh, to say the least. So the jury's always going to be out on that one, the scholarly jury. There's also the really disturbing plaster skulls uh, found by Kathleen Kenyon in the excavation in Jericho, but these predate Israel times, but they definitely uh, point towards human sacrifice. There's also a really interesting underwater site that dates to the time of the Persian Empire. So we're talking Ezra, Nehemiah, 
after the exile of statues of pregnant women standing on a podium with their right hand raised. And researchers don't know why perhaps actual child sacrifice, everyone's hoping, went out of fashion at that point. And so people would make vows and throw these statues in the water at this specific point at the Mediterranean Sea to offer a vow in replacement of. That's kind of what everyone's hoping, but it points to this disturbing idea of sacrificing children. Um, so that is just some of the archaeological evidence that that we find when it comes to child sacrifice. There's more, but I'm going to make a longer segment and pop it up on my YouTube channel. That, the, 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 the anger that emerges in me. Yeah. Absolute anger. And then the tragedy, the loss, mm -hmm. is, is just, it's a stunning emotion. Mm -hmm. And I compare that with today. Yeah. You know, Christians, we have a heritage of protecting the innocent. Um, when you look back at church history, it was still a practice in, in Greek and Rome, not sacrificing to a God, but just leaving unwanted children out to die in the fields. Um, and we have a deep and long history of Christians uh, protecting innocent lives and rescuing them. And we have an obligation as Christians to continue that, even when it is not a popular thing to say in our society, we need to stand up for the innocent and we need to be willing to rescue them just as people in, in the early Christian church were willing to rescue those unwanted babies. You know, when they didn't even know if they were gonna have enough food to provide for their own families, they they still stood up for the innocent. We have an obligation to do so. We do, and, and we don't even comprehend the value of life. Mm -hmm. And God is the creator of life. And uh, how special, mm -hmm. how special is that? In the last um, few seconds, Jesus has overcome the world. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah was in prison, and yet God gave him hope. He let him know through a land deal that the land that the Babylonians had taken over, he was still going to inherit. And uh, Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Mm -hmm. There is nothing too hard for you. And God says in Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? The answer is no, there is not. All things are possible through God. Rumble is a great social media platform. Bible Discovery TV is on Rumble. It is just wonderful. There's no interruptions. Every day we put the program on there. And so I want to encourage you to get a hold of Rumble on your phone or on your computer, whatever, on your iPad, on your tablet, whatever, and watch the programs. 
Today, let's pray. Father, we pray today that you would help us to keep ourselves focused on your will and your word in this time. 